Hey there, podcast listeners. Before we get into the show today, uh, our friends at Sony wanted me to tell you that they're running sweepstakes in celebration of the final three episodes of Better Call Saul. Uh, Sony Pictures Television is giving you the chance to win the ultimate prize pack. Bop, bop, uh, If you're interested, uh, you can enter the Better Call Saul sweepstakes for a chance to win a 65-inch Sony Bravia TV. I think it's Bravia. Is it Bravia? That's how I say it. Uh, a Sony Dolby Atmos soundbar. That's awesome. And a one-year subscription to AMC Plus. Also awesome. Uh, no purchase necessary. And all you have to do is go to www.bettercallsawsweepstakes.com to enter. And entries are open now. And they close on August 16th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Standard Eastern Time. Um, yeah, so that's the info about the sweepstakes. And if you're interested, go to that website. And good luck to you. And now, on with the podcast. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. This is episode 611, Breaking Bad. That's right, the title you've all been waiting for of Better Call Saul. It's the Better Call Saul Breaking Bad crossover episode uh, where we bring characters from Better Call Saul. You know what? It's totally confusing, but here it is. It's episode 611. It's written and directed by Thomas Schnauz. Uh, I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm one of the editors of Better Call Saul, and I'm the co-host of this show. And today I'm the, the solo host of the show because unfortunately, uh, Kelly Dixon couldn't join us. Well, not so fast. Hey, it's Chris McCaleb from the future or the past, but the future from when we recorded this podcast, we actually did do a special conversation with Kelly and Tom Schnauz, and that is coming up during the podcast. So uh, forget everything that I just said, because uh, we're this is a, an emergency assembled podcast uh, midweek. Uh, during the day, it's one of these, uh, it's, this is, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, maybe you remember our podcast after dark episodes where we'd get a little loopy. Uh, this is a podcast, uh, just after coffee. So it could have a similar loop factor. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, but, uh, I, let's just, let's just get right into it. Um, uh, we got a ton of great people to talk about the show and, um, First, we have the co-creator of the show, Peter Gould. Hello. Hello. What's going on, Peter? Oh, uh, you know, it's a Friday and uh, I'm feeling weepy because we're about to talk about Tom's last, the last episode that Tom wrote and directed for uh, Better Call Saul. So yeah, it's a, it's a big day. That is so crazy. Yeah. It's like, and, 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 you know, if you're as a viewer, if you're, if you're getting, you know, a little sad that it's it's coming to a close, just know that uh, we are also sad, and uh, it's 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 a lot of yeah, it's it's been it's been very it's been very emotional around around uh, these parts. Chris, can I also cop to the fact that yesterday Skip and I more or less finished the uh, series finale? So that's wow. uh, this is a big. I'm, I'm still I'm still process I'm still processing. Perfect. Well, let's Finish let's just talk about cutting. that one instead. There's still let's... a lot more to do. <laughs> yeah. no. no, 
<laughs> Talk about this. Yes. Well, and yeah, so and here to talk with us about it is uh you you the aforementioned writer, director, and executive producer of the show, Tom Schnauz. Hello, hey. <laughs> everyone. Walt and Jesse are back. Stop asking me about them, for God's sakes. That's right. They're back now. They're back. <laughs> for seven years. Thing- Walt and Jesse are going to be on the show. Are Walt and Jesse going to be on the show? I can't tell you. Now they're back. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it's so it's uh, it's so awesome to see them. And it's like Cranston. It's like he never stopped being Walt. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, how how i mean both of them they're they're extraordinary them. actors and and bob the way he slipped back into full saw goodman after being jimmy mcgill for so long i mean he is really he does his 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 motions his his mannerisms are just they're they're what he was on breaking bad it's just, it's it's so fun to watch that scene i hope everybody enjoyed it oh yeah well, i i, I yeah, sure was- did it was a transportation back in time or forward in uh, in time. It was a transportation <laughs> in time. <laughs> Crazy. Well, speaking of transportation, uh, you just heard his voice. And uh, while he's not in charge of transportation, when uh, when we're shooting on a set, he's in charge of uh, just about everything else. He's uh, he's the guy you heard his name. He's he's a bit of a podcast all star. You've you've heard us talk about him over and over and over again you've heard this name uh, rich did this rich did that but now you're actually going to get to hear from the man himself he's first ad rich sickler oh thank you <laughs> yeah it's been uh cre- such a crazy honor to be a part of this uh this whole journey truly so well and you happy to be here you should definitely know that that i i'm not exaggerating you they your name comes up every single time it's an episode that you worked on so um you're 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 very valued here on the podcast uh nice to hear thank you um and speaking of valued on the podcast uh we have uh the man uh uh who i've been working like i don't know 10 feet apart from for the last (laughs) uh year plus except there are several walls between us and um but but that hasn't stopped us from from uh from getting the job done, he's the editor of this episode, and uh, you know, a, a returning champion to the podcast, Skip McDonald. Hey, everybody! Hey. <laughs> and yes, Chris, we've been working side by side, but we very rarely see each other. So it's, it's, it's so weird. It's very that's how Skip prefers it. Skip prefers it that way. I well, just like to lock the door and hang out. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. That's why it took me so long to cut all my episodes is I like to I like to have the first two days of the editors kind of like to take a nap just all day. Um, But so this episode is called Breaking Bad. Now, why is that? I don't know. Anybody have a good. Well, that was uh, Jen Carroll's great idea. She wrote me and said we should we should title this episode Breaking Bad because the original episode with Saul Goodman was titled Better Call Saul. And here we are. Uh, wow! Returning the uh, not the favor. I don't know what we're returning. We're, we're returning something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we thought we'd just come sort of come full circle, and uh, uh, we we took Jen's great idea and, and stuck it on there. So this this episode is titled "Breaking Bad," and because uh, 
Gene does uh, break bad again. He goes back to his uh, his. Does roots. he ever? <laughs> it's it's tough. I and I I just saw this episode uh, one week ago and got my notes here, and uh, it's I I I really really love this episode, Tom, and 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 yeah, boy, Bob is like. He's he's showing a lot of different sides of this character throughout this episode across time, and uh, I, I I really I really love that. What 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 was the? I mean, you you sort of referenced the fact that for since the beginning of the show, everybody people have asked press audience everybody, when are Walt and Jesse going to show up? When are Walt and Jesse going to show up? So. Can you talk a little bit about like the decision making process in the writers' room of like when how how you sort of decided yes actually we're going to do this and and how did you how did it how did it come to be that this is how we did it? That is a uh, good question, uh, a hard question because we probably broke this episode twelve years ago. Uh, <laughs> um, but we, I mean, every season we talked about. You know, how do we get Walt and Jesse into the show? How do we get right. every character, every character from the from the universe we talked about? And those are our two most important characters, Walt and Jesse. And we we kept throwing stuff at the wall. And this is the one that sort of finally stuck where we we talked about the moment post kidnapping and uh, in between the in between the kidnapping and returning uh, Saul back to his office. So he, he gets the. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Jimmy in and out, uh, scam going. So we were just filling in the gap between what happened between those two moments. And it just seemed like a prime opportunity to also address the Lalo of it, because we had this Lalo mm-hmm. question hanging in the air where in breaking bad, he says, uh, Lalo didn't send you wasn't no Lalo. Um, and it just felt like a good moment to touch on this horrible, whole thing that happened in his history that he has suppressed so much mm-hmm. but the the hood over his head brought him all back and he he had that flashback to 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 begging to lalo no no it wasn't me it was ignacio i swear and uh he he had a mo he had a moment of uh ptsd there that he had to address and then once he realized it was only uh uh, uh brandon mayhew's uncle and his and his friend that he uh he, he he came back to reality, but when Jesse asked him, "So who's this Lalo?" I never heard of any Lalo because Lalo's been dead for several years, and Jesse never would have heard of him. So it's just a it's just us showing that that Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman has suppressed this way way down, uh, but it leaked out in this in this moment of horror. It's it's interesting. There was a uh, just briefly there was a structural question we always had that's kind of it's kind of baked into the pilot of the show because the pilot of the show takes place before Jimmy is Saul Goodman, but we have this opening sequence where he's Gene Takovic. And you, you always think about what the gaps are. And we brought, we, we started wondering, how are we gonna handle the uh, the Breaking Bad years? You know, what what's gonna happen on the show when he is full Saul Goodman right. as, as, as we went on. And one of the ideas we had, we had a lot of different ideas. One of the ideas we had, I kept going back to a movie which is, uh, controversial and not necessarily a good movie called Intolerance by D.W. Griffiths. And I don't, I, obviously we all have a lot of complicated feelings about that particular filmmaker. <laughs> uh, but the thing that, 
the thing that I remembered about intolerance was it's it's it weaves uh, several different stories together, different time era, uh, different eras. There's Babylon, and then there's a modern era, and there's like all but French Revolution kind of time, and it's it's a uh, towards the end they all get intercut, they all get intercut one bam bam back and forth, and so we, we kept on saying, is there a version of this where we uh, we used to call it running between the raindrops, where we cutting back and forth between these eras, but why would you do that? Why? What was the what's the point of it? And I don't think we understood until we were getting into this part of the story that we're talking about somebody who has a pattern in his life, Jimmy, uh, Saul, that he, he's, he, he gets angry and he does these things, which in the short term look like they're for his benefit, but ultimately, and a little bit deeper, I think is, is self-destructive and about self-hatred. And this episode, I think more than any other episode on the show uh, is <laughs> drilling down into Jimmy's pattern, Jimmy's Gene's pattern, uh, uh, Saul's pattern, why he is the way he is, why he's made these decisions. And, and to me, the, 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 the episode asks the question, is this guy always going to be like this? Is this, it's kind of a depressing thought that this is a guy who as much, as much growth as we've seen from him and a, a love with Kim that he's, he's keeps going. You see that he's, he's making more or less the same kind of mistake at the end of the episode that he did way back on breaking bad. And uh, you know, he should have, he should have learned, he should have learned his lesson and Kim, Kim learned her lesson. She went off somewhere. We don't know where, I guess, Florida, it sounded like, but she's, she's made some kind of big change in her life. But um, Jimmy, Jimmy, even though he's made a giant change, he kind of goes back and it's a little bit like an alcoholic, you know, exactly. He, he goes oh, back. yeah. He goes back to that. Mm -hmm. And I, I just that's one of the things I think there's something um, in this episode is beautifully executed on every level. I mean, it really, it's an extraordinary piece of filmmaking uh, and a capstone to all the amazing work that, that Tom has done. Uh, but the thing that really hurts me when I watch it is seeing a guy who just can't get out of his own way. Uh, and mm -hmm. so that, those, those are some, some of my thoughts about the, the crazy <laughs> structure and how we arrived there. And actually, it was I remember thinking in the writer's room, I thought we were going to be running between the raindrops for a lot of episodes. I thought it was going to be a whole thing that we'd be kind of be fast forwarding through Breaking Bad. But then yeah. we realized that going from nine to 10, we would make that big jump. Yeah, I mean, we talked about running between the raindrops from season one. I mean, I, I always thought that that would be a huge part of the show, that we'd always be flashing forward to Saul Goodman and, and doing it. And we did it a little bit when we did that great teaser on, in quite a ride, but then uh, we didn't get back to it. So uh, that was something I was always push, kind of pushing for since the show began, but uh, uh, it just worked out. I think we did, we did make the right decision of staying in Jimmy's world and Kim's world and seeing how that developed before uh, doing what we did in this episode. Oh, yeah. I would say something that, you know, uh, and working with Tom and I've had the, you know, the great pleasure of doing uh, a handful of Tom's episodes uh, is that he it's and I think, Skip, you would probably agree, Tom having written it and then directing it and then bringing it, all those pieces to you it's like it's it's a complete it's a complete unit in his mind you know yeah. at, at every at every stage 
and uh, he very gracefully uh, listens to suggestions or ideas uh, and, then, and take some of them but for the most part you know he knows what he wants and where where that baby's going and to have um we were just you know just talking about the different time frames and stuff involved especially in in 11 you know it's just wonderful to to be you know attached at the hip to tom as we kind of walk through all the all the different phases of uh of the storytelling and uh, uh just um, thank you rich so man, I, I, yeah. i'm so glad rich is on the podcast today because i think on previous podcasts we've tried to describe how important the first AD is to yeah to this process and i am so glad that rich is here to, to talk about it and kind of step through what he does as a as a first ad and how he i mean it's mm -hmm. like being a first AD is like trying to do a rubik's cube except every once in a while somebody comes along and starts peeling the stickers off and rearranging <laughs> the colors. And then you're still, because people are always shifting things. We can't have this in time or some actor has to go on vacation or do, you know, do, he's always mixing or somebody can't work this many hours. And it, it's just like, it's a giant puzzle. And I just marvel, I mean, Rich has been, I've been blessed to have him as my first AD so many times. And it's just, uh, I mean, he's really, it's, uh, it's carrying a huge weight to do that job and he, he does it so well and and right off the bat i mean one of the first things we have to do was secretly get uh uh aaron paul and brian cranston into albuquerque with no without anybody knowing onto a, an rv set that's hidden away in a stage and do it without anyone knowing because we didn't want this secret to get out yeah that was months before <laughs> like we had to do all that all that at once that was uh that was pretty pretty great yeah, we shot yeah. we shot the RV scene way back in April of 2021. During <laughs> I think Vince was shooting episode two, and this was this is Aaron's and Brian's only availability time together. We we had like a right. three day window that these guys could come together and be there on this one day and and shoot the scene. Um, so we. Uh, Man, it was just it was a it was a big undertaking, and a lot of people uh, did great work to pull it off. And had yeah. you, Tom, did you written the whole script at that point? Because oh no, I no, think it's, because it's kind of amazing to think that we had broken episode eleven uh, when we were shooting episode before we had shot episode two. Oh yeah, no, we were just with all the COVID delays and everything. I mean, we I think we had planned on shooting things earlier than than we did, and we were supposed to have been shooting probably around the time we were breaking episode eight or nine and it just got pushed and pushed and pushed and it just so happened that we were breaking episode 11 well into you know prior to the shooting so we had this idea that we were going to bring walt and jesse back and luckily again the, the the scheduling worked out for the actors but i had to write this particular scene way ahead I think I wrote the scene even before I wrote episode 607, possibly. Yeah, I think you did. It was right around the same time as I was writing 607 and this scene right around the same time. And um, but luckily, it's kind of a standalone thing and and it could it could be shot uh, well right. in advance of, of the other stuff. And I and uh, in full disclosure, I happen to be in Albuquerque. You've you've maybe heard me talk about it on the podcast when Mike Behrman Trout and I uh, were in Albuquerque working with Michael Morris. And uh, again, thanks to the the lovely uh, Clementine Donnell, 
um mike actually got to visit that rv set which i know is really fun for him and i know he 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 told me all about how how fun because he was actually there when they were testing the hydraulics uh and i know that uh and and uh, and, and i was there too and it was uh it was very fun for me as well that's actually where i met rich uh, very briefly right. very briefly we were just uh interlopers i'm like i'm like who's this yeah yeah and i was and i was arrested and and that's what i wanted to uh, confront you on the podcast about being arrested um but but for, before uh, before we go any further because rich i do i want to get into to like to what what it exactly for people especially for people who who don't work in in movies or tv like mm. what exactly it is that you do on on a like what the job of 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 a, of a first assistant director is, uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't notice that there's another box in our Zoom window, and uh, we didn't think he was gonna be able to join us because of technical difficulties. But here he is, uh, rising from the the digital ashes uh, to to join us here in, in digital Valhalla. Uh, it is our music supervisor, Thomas Golubich. I am, I'm, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm honored to be amongst you. I've now learned that an HDMI cable can be navigated directly into a computer from a modem, which is new information for me, which I did desperately in the last 15 minutes. So apologies to everyone. I'm learning a lot more about technical stuff than I ever thought I needed. Oh, no, you get vaults. No worries. Um, <laughs> and and we'll we'll get into some of the fantastic music uh, in this episode, including one where I've 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 just written. I've got big stars on my notes. What is this song? But we'll get into that. Um, so, Rich, tell us a little bit about what it is that what it is that you do. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I've often said uh, if I had five seconds to tell somebody, I would say if a director was a dictator and the movie's a country, the first AD is the general, <laughs> you know, but I, I try to be a nice general. Yeah. Uh, but basically, um, I think, you know, a lot of us in my position approach it differently, you know, in different ways, but I think I'm, I look at it mostly, uh, or most importantly, that uh, we're responsible for the story that is on the page and how are we going to best efficiently execute that. Uh, and so just briefly in, in prep, I'll uh, kind of break the script down into different, into scenes. Often they're not, the scenes aren't numbered yet. And so I'll number them uh, and break out all the actors, props, all the different things that, uh, you know, that are, that are the elements for the scene. Um, it used to be all hand done, uh, you know, probably until the early nineties or so. And there's a computer program now that we break it down. And, um, obviously if scene one's on the mountain and scene two's in the desert and scene three's back on the mountain, you know, we shoot out of continuity. So you take scene one and three and <laughs> schedule them together. A lot of commonsensical things take place first. Um, but the way that uh, the computer program breaks it down is it at a glance, uh, it's called a strip board, uh, basically, or a board or, you know, just a one line schedule, you can see that it's day, night, interior, exterior, which actors are in it by their the number that is indicated by their name and whatnot, or their character, I should say. And um, so that's kind of like a fundamental thing. Everybody's kind of anxious for the board, the schedule to see how, if the days are really going to fit together and, you know, is it too many nights? Uh, 
because you didn't, you know, you don't want to start shooting nights on a Monday when you, you know, you want your nights at the end of the week and, you know, things like that. From there, uh, once we kind of have a board, obviously someone else has been out scouting, finding locations for us, a locations uh, manager and their team. And uh, the director, uh, the DP, if available, uh, uh, production designer, location scout, and myself, we generally then start going to trying to find the locations. And, uh, and once we've kind of started locking those in, the schedule really starts to take form. Uh, and then also during prep, we have all the meetings for the different departments. I've often said if, uh, if given, if the director was just sitting in his, his or her office with no one to kind of control the prep, it would be like ducks eating at bread, you know, all the questions. <laughs> and so I try to channel all the meetings and uh, schedule all the meetings so that people have enough time to, to react. And uh, I basically lead all the meet or the first assistant director leads all the meetings in prep uh, just to just to kind of track things. And we usually do uh, a page turn for each department so that, uh, you know, if anybody's been wondering like, ah, it's scene seven, you know, it says the place is really crowded. We've chosen a giant restaurant. Are we going to close part of it? Or, you know, there's just a lot of different things. Everybody kind of has their own uh, agenda, if you will, or their own, their own things that they're concerned about. So guide those meetings. Uh, once we've chosen the locations and the director, DP, uh, director of photography, you know, production designer, we've all kind of decided how it's going to work. When we take all the technical people back, uh, the first AD generally leads the scout and says, like, we can park the trucks over there. The cable can come in over here. Uh, our safe exit, if it starts raining, is over there, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and then just kind of basically closing the loops on all the unanswered questions. Uh, I have a, a legal pad. I'm still up pencil and paper guy and I've got a legal pad that I carry around with me <laughs> you know the director sees me coming they know oh, there's going to be a lot of questions and hopefully a lot <laughs> of answers that are gleaned from that um, so that's kind of through prep you know we have uh, the production meeting um, that kind of closes it gives everybody that last chance you know to ask any questions or or go through any specifics uh, before the train leaves the station then in shooting, uh, I'm in charge of what time we start our day, uh, what time people come to work. Gosh, as it turns out, I guess I'm kind of doing, I'm in charge of a lot. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's it's I'm I I'm I actually I'm I'm sleepy thinking about how much work that is for one person <laughs> to have to do. And well, and this episode, and I'm sure we talked about it uh, last week, and I I and not because we haven't recorded the podcast yet, but so I'm not quite sure what we talked about, but I, I have a feeling we talked about uh, the montage, um, which Stu Lyons, I believe, famously said uh, montage <laughs> is French for overtime. <laughs> and uh, and they're 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 notoriously complicated to schedule uh, and to mm -hmm. edit. Um, so in this episode, you know, two episodes in a row, we've got like a, a, a fairly elaborate montage mm -hmm. um, and talk about, and I just, I want to open it up to everybody here. Um, talk about that montage from a story perspective, but also from a, a filmmaking perspective. It's, 
I, Chris, I know this is out of order. So mm-hmm. you, I, can I just say one thing though about Rich? Just He just listed all the responsibilities. But one thing that it's kind of ephemeral and he can't talk about because he can't talk about himself is that the AD is running the set, really. The AD and Rich in particular, one of the things that makes Rich such a fantastic AD and such a great person to be around is he has this buoyant, positive energy every second every second he everybody and he pulls everybody together he's he, you know his emotions are all right there on the surface he's he's watching the scenes uh emotionally involved in them he cares about and it makes a difference to the crew it makes a difference to the actors everybody can everybody kind of gets this good positive energy from this guy and it's um it's great especially if you're a director like me Who's uh, you know dour and nail biting and just generally downbeat? Uh, it's, it's good to have somebody. It's good to have. It's wonderful to have someone who's there with you know just basically radiating good cheer, even in you know hour ten uh, when when everyone's getting tired. This guy is still in there, and he has just this unbelievable store of energy and good cheer. I just want to say that because it sounds. Everything that Rich said is true, but it's sort of talking about the job, not how he does it. And that's what makes uh, that's what makes Rich so special. And uh, we've been so blessed, uh, especially this season and having two just incredible ADs, Rich and Angie, both of whom are very different, but both of whom get the job done uh, beautifully and, and make everybody feel better about their day and, and their work. That's there. That's before before we get to the montage. Oh, thank you. I, is there? How do you blush on a podcast? Uh, I <laughs> that was it. You just did it. <laughs> I was I was going to say, Rich. Anytime I hear your voice when I'm watching dailies and stuff, it's always calm. You're never rattled. So you must have a great demeanor and a calming oh. voice on everybody because oh, it comes across you. here too. Thank you so I'll much. do one other note too about a great first AD is that you have lots of different people with different levels of confidence and experience and a really great first AD is able to make everyone feel comfortable, feel engaged and help them deliver in the moment under time pressure and all that. And I think that's a really special skill and something that's really pretty magical because it's hard when you're showing up on a set for the first time, you don't quite know what you're supposed to do. And a great first AD is able to say, Hey, this is doable. This is practical. And I'm going to walk you through it. And here's how it happens. So yeah, cheers to you on that. Oh, one last thing. I'm sorry. I got to say one more thing that Rich still left out. That's actually very important. Also, he's all, also uh, runs point on safety. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's nothing that's more important uh, than, than safety on a set. And uh, it, it, I, I'm very proud of what a safe set we've had over all these years. Mm. And have we talked about how handsome Rich is? I mean, my oh, God. come oh, on. <laughs> I think we've all seen him as Mohawk Man in that's uh, true. Melissa Bernstein's oh, episode. Yes, that's so, right. Oh, that's right. So, yes. <laughs> uh, you could pause your 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 show and, and stare at his beauty. 605. Could do that. 605. <laughs> anyway, uh, the montage. Yeah, I didn't yeah. make it easy. I didn't make, the, make it easy on Rich yeah. or Skip with this montage because <laughs> we shot montage pieces all over the place. I mean, while we were doing... The karaoke bar we had uh matt cradle in a space next door to in another bar shooting uh inserts and 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 doing glasses being uh passed over and pulled back and, and bowls of pretzels 
And while we were shooting the taxi scenes, we'd grab shots of water being passed through. And while we were doing Gene's apartment, we'd do shots of, of uh, Bob uh, spiking water bottles. So we were grabbing montage pieces like everywhere. I think every day, almost every day, we were right. sticking in montage pieces and just not even not even small montage pieces. I mean, our like Den- Denise Bazzini had to had to build a, uh, a club out of nothing <laughs> on our stage for a couple of shots of a dancer and a mirror ball and Bob watching. And that was just a mirror ball and curtains and a, and a stripper's pole wow. on, the, on the stage in a corner. We didn't go somewhere. They just threw up some, I mean, just because it was only like two or three shots we were getting. Uh, they built this thing and we grabbed it when we could. And, you know, the, the shot of Bob in bed with the, the zooming out from him, that was also just on stage. I mean, we we're rich scheduled this thing. Great. We were just able to get all these different pieces throughout the whole schedule. And I just, it was just sort of up to me to keep track of what we needed and, and try to get them. And then hand it over to Skip and say, here you go, buddy. <laughs> here's, Good luck. Here's, a, here's a thousand, here's a thousand <laughs> pictures of, of driver's license, yes. and credit cards, and, yeah. and see what you can do with this. Make it work. Here's a basket of snakes. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> what a great description of, of, uh, footage for a montage a basket of snakes Snakes. (laughs) that's true that should be somebody that should be a book about editing like a basket of snakes Snakes. yeah we almost and we almost used every shot for the month it was some some stuff we dropped just to fit for the the length of the song we used it was uh there was a couple of things that we we dropped out but we got we got most of it in yes we did and there were quite a few pieces to to work with and uh I thought it came out great, but it was it was a challenge. And how do you go about like taming and wrangling all those snakes, Skip? <laughs> Very slowly and methodically. <laughs> you know, we just start at the beginning and try to make it all work. And then, you know, sitting down with Tom, it was compressing it more and more and making it uh, as tight and lean as possible, but still using all the pieces we had. And it was the, the big challenge were the the sweeping, you know, the the driver's license coming at us and all the credit cards sliding past because we needed so many layers of video to make that work that it was tough to keep track of them and make sure the system didn't keep crashing all the time which happened a number of times yeah that that credit card shot i think we kept uh, the poor avid kept shutting down every time we got every time we make a change to it it would uh, shut shut down and have to reboot yes i'm i'm reminded of the the uh, the 110 montage which uh, pushed yeah. pushed these computers <laughs> to their absolute limit. Yeah. Um, and, and Skip, you know, hopefully I'm glad that you're here because I, um, I, I something that you and I have talked about in person, but I hopefully not on the podcast. Hopefully I didn't talk about this last week uh, on this podcast. We totally have recorded for sure already um, is uh, is the difficulty of cutting black and white material in the Avid um there's something about just because the way that the your the avid works there's a visual interface where you have a bin and you see like sort of a key frame from each shot and it and in your head it's a very quick way to determine oh that's that shot that's that this is the wide that's but for some reason these bins in black and white everything looks the same even though the shots don't look anything alike. I mean, the shots, it, I mean, you've seen the episode. It's, it's beautiful, incredible, dynamic shots. 
everything is different, but I found it very difficult to, to edit in, in the, the black and white stuff. And uh, did you feel that way? Yeah. Trying to, to look at the bins and decide which kind of a shot or angle you wanted to use was very difficult because you're right. They all blended together. I think it's just something because color, it pops out at you and you get to notice everything, but right. the black and white was such a blend that it's like, you have to go load them into the source monitor to see exactly what the shot was and the angles look like. Cause in the small, you know, little thumbnail clips, it was almost impossible to discern what was, unless it was like a single close-up. But other than that, they were really tough to notice what the differences were. And which is especially difficult when you're cutting a montage because there's so many pieces, all those snakes, these aforementioned snakes. Um, I, I found it surprisingly difficult. I, and uh, I was not expecting that. Yeah, I agree. I was not expecting to have it that rough to be able to, choose which piece to use because they all look the same well and, and and you know another thing i wasn't expecting uh was when i was watching this episode and all of a sudden uh gene is singing brandy <laughs> i mean we're go, going back to karaoke and um and and that's just one of the great pieces of music that are in this episode and and uh you know to thomas how how, how do we get how does that how does all that happen I mean, in the case of, I think, a Tom episode, he usually has a pretty clear idea of where he wants to go. Like, we'll throw ideas into the mix, but he's usually really good at kind of steering it. Even, for instance, the montage, I think he's been looking to use uh, this Mike Nesmith song for a while. And, you know, we, you know, when I look at the sequence, I even thought to myself, like, is there another way to approach this? And generally speaking with Tom's episodes, I think they fit so closely that you know, I could have another option. I don't know if it would improve it. It would just simply be another option that would do a different thing. So I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, Tom makes it both easy and difficult, you know, in a way. He he has very specific ideas. They're usually really well thought through. I usually understand them later, like when they get into the cut is when I really understand why that resonated specifically with him so much. For us, usually it's just the process of really the, the clearance. It's like the, it's the, it's the, the shoe leather efforts of like, okay, how do we clear this? Like, does, does a company take, you know, for instance, with the Mike Nesmith song, it was a, a very tricky clearance and trying to get all the parties involved to both take claim over ownership of the song for us to be able to clear it ahead of time. And we knew that Skip was building the whole sequence to it. So there wasn't much of a net, you know, if, if the song wouldn't clear, it would be a lot of work that would be wasted. Um, you know, in the case of, of both Brandy and, um, you know, Summer Breeze, those are luckily very iconic songs, but we have to chase down karaoke versions of them. We got to choose the right karaoke version of it. The pacing has to make sense. And that way, you know, the actors are able to prepare ahead of time with the correct version. If it turns out that, you know, someone has an ownership issue with a karaoke version, which does happen sometimes, you may have a big problem on your hands because now you're not able to utilize that version. The other versions don't have the same tempo or the same rhythm. And now you got to figure out how to fix that. And last thing you ever want to do, and this happened to us in a scary way with ABBA way back in season one, was 
we were the weekend before shooting it and ABBA was, was holding out on their approval. And I have never been as scared on this show, speaking of a basket of snakes, as I was that weekend when I <laughs> had to call Diane and say, I have not received the approval. And she's like, you realize that they're rehearsing this. They've been doing this for days. And it's the worst feeling in the world that somehow you may not deliver and time will be wasted, energy, be a great idea will die on the vine. So it's it's weird. A lot of the nerve wracking part of my job is just making sure that the vision of the filmmakers is being fulfilled. And then on those other occasions, we get a chance to really take a swing and try different ideas out and, you know, come up with something that hopefully adds a whole new element or a new energy to the sequence that might be surprising. But I think in the case of Tom's episodes, and in particular in this one, he did a really good job of kind of drawing it out and having it really set up. So we knew that our job was make sure we can find a way to deliver and everything he needs. So Skip can do his best work. Tom can do his best work. All the actors can do their best work. And we're just making sure that, the, 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 the you know, to Rich's point, the, the train is getting to the station on time. And if you want to hear the full story about that ABBA clearance, uh, we definitely talked about it at length in the 410 podcast. So I, I would recommend that because that was that was a great conversation. Also, uh, that was an awesome episode. If, if you want a PTSD experience, you can just hear me talk. It's your PTSD, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, going back going back to to Breaking Bad, I think people know my love of the monkeys after the use of the, the song "Going Down" in the episode five hundred seven. Uh, so I've been wanting to. I saw the uh, the monkeys a couple of years ago, and Mike Nesmith did the, an acoustic version of the song "Tapioca Tundra," which I absolutely loved. It was not a song I really thought about very much, but when he did the acoustic version, it really resonated with me because the the original monkeys version is all this high tech kind of psychedelic, and the and the lyrics kind of get lost. And when I heard when I heard him do it then, I, I that we stuck with me. I was like, I want to use this somewhere somehow and when we got to this episode it just felt like this was a really good piece for a montage and i i knew it was on youtube of him singing acoustically and i reached out to thomas saying how do we get the rights to this and luckily he did the research and found out there was an actual this this song was released on like a, a, a special compilation yeah episode that it was his his demo track was actually out there that i i didn't know about and um Thank God you found it because it was really it really worked out great. And so it's a it's a it's a demo track because I, I I just wanted to bring this up because at one point I heard a version where he says and and here's an instrumental break right here. Yeah, and, and that's at, so we're actually using his demo. Is that right? That's the, that's ah. his demo acoustic demo of the song he recorded to present it to the producers, and then they built on the song from there when I think actually his demo version was always the best version of the song. And, and then Thomas and um, uh, yeah, you guys uh, took out that, just removed that little piece of dialogue. He says, where he says instrumental instrumental here, uh, Jason, Jason yeah. uh, Newman uh, went and did the, just did a little Music edit for editor. us and took that yeah. out. And, and the, the going just to also Jason Newman and, and the, the magic of music editing is that, in many ways, we all have interesting ideas that we think are great. And then suddenly we look against picture and we realize, oh, my God, it's 30 seconds too long. Or this instrumental break is at the wrong time. Or that this weird little throw in feels distracting and you're completely in the montage. But then you hear a guy do a directive, 
you know, about the song and suddenly you're out. And I think Tom noticed that and was like, let's clip that out. And Jason's magic is making it look invisible. So you never notice that anything is different. And I think in many ways, like a lot of our montages, we have really long ones on Better Call Saul, but you know, it's infrequent we use the full song. And so it's kind of how do you find a way to make it feel like you've got a beginning, a middle and an end that feels really natural and you're not missing something. And that's what a music editor does so well is just find a way to, to make everything smooth. It's kind of what we all do. It's like we all make things which are incredibly difficult, look incredibly easy and natural. And just to say it, occasionally we go the other way. The uh, Days of Wine and Roses in the first episode of this season, actually the the the, monta- the sequence was longer than the song. And so yep. Jason did some sleight of hand and actually extended the song, which I would imagine, I don't know, we'd have to, we should get him on the podcast again. Uh, I would imagine extending it is even harder than shortening it. It is. I, I, I will only allow Jason on the podcast if he brings his alpacas. That is the that is my stipulation. <laughs> the only interesting thing about having to do these mixes, um, you know, partially via Zoom. Um, so it's only so many people can be in the room. Um, and the, the I would say the the ex, the exclusive benefit of the Zoom things is seeing Jason's background, uh, which are his alpacas. He actually has alpacas and it's, it's so charming. Yes. They're very comforting to look at. Um, I think we all could use a comfort alpaca. (laughs) Good eating too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now he'll never come on the podcast. If he he knows we're going to eat his alpacas. Um, Cause we are. We're coming for your alpacas, Jason. I guess what I'm getting at is you're 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 on you're on alert. Um, I, I we're gonna run out of time, but I I, I did want to talk about just a little bit about something that I was remarking on watching it, which is this is a very different kind of scamming for Jimmy. I mean, we we saw him in his early days. You know, he was kind of like grifting he was outsmarting people he was doing little things that were that were kind of you know playing on people's hubris but and he's doing some of that here he's you know tricking them or or making making them feel like they're the intellectual superior but then he's drugging them and just outright stealing i mean getting and this is this is i think and you correct me if I'm wrong, but this this feels like kind of the most hardcore. I mean, it feel like like unredemptive. Yeah, this is the lowest of the low for him. I mean, this is really I don't I don't think he would have done this in his slipping Jimmy days at all. I mean, this is but he still feels like he's taking advantage of rich people who probably deserve it in some way. Uh, the arrogant, uh, uh, you know, money. <laughs> Uh, money guys uh, so he on some level he feel probably feels like they uh, they feel like they're better than me so I'm gonna I'm gonna show them and uh, yeah this is just it's just straight out identity theft and there's no I think he's kind of working with the tools that he has using using Jeff and buddy and and this is he, he knows he knows the equipment he has and this is a scam that that best fits his he's got a taxi driver who could he could ride nights he's he's in Omaha uh, where there's you know Warren Buffett's uh, uh, you know company, everybody works there. There's a lot of <laughs> a lot of rich people uh, that you can take advantage of, and this is this is what he chooses to do. 
Yeah, I was gonna say it's like Jeff and Buddy are are not partners in this. It didn't feel like they are tools. They, like you said, they are implements of, <laughs> of just, you know, it's like they are disposable. You know, he only needs them for what they can provide. Yeah, they don't have the skill. They don't have the skill that a Kim or a Marco had. And and he's basically thinking, well, what do what do I have to work with? This is what I can do, and that's what he that's what he does. And you know, again, again, you're right. He's drugging people, and it really is despicable. Um, he doesn't he doesn't seem to take a lot of joy in it, really, Tom. That's the it's this is sort of it's there's something kind of dogged about it and of course when he's skimming with marco or kim there's a a likeness and a joy to the to to the scam it's it's really kind of a uh even for both of them it's kind of a love story and there's no love with uh jeff and buddy they're they're yeah. they're uh they're underlings what, what what do you think let me ask you why do you think he's doing it well i mean i mean saw goodman is all about covering pain pain of the past the pain of everything that went down with kim and lalo and howard and uh here he is some he was gene he was just in hiding as gene and and kind of getting along but then he has this phone conversation with kim or somebody at kim's company that we don't know what it was and he smashes the phone and apparently there's some some wound has reopened and he can't just be gene he can't just go back to being gene he's got that's some hurt that he needs to, needs to cover up again and he goes back to his his drug of choice which is his scamming and it's basically a way of 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 you know anesthetizing the, the pain i guess it's just, he's gotta he's gotta he's gotta be back in in saw world to feel better that's a beautiful beautifully put yeah yeah it, it reminds me of the the walter white breaking bad situation which is that there's a certain point when you can have a validation like the original scams were really there just to make sure that Jeff couldn't hurt him, but then he decided to keep going. And it's that point of no return that you kind of, you know, we have lots of them, but it's kind of interesting to capture those points of no return when you realize this is being done for more than just fixing a problem. This is being done because of a compulsion. And like you said, it's it's covering a type of long standing pain that may never get resolved. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, from the dark mind of Tom Schnauz. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of never been being resolved, we we unfortunately have to start wrapping up because uh, we we have very limited window today. Um, sorry for the shorter podcast, everybody. Um, but uh, are there any any final notes that you guys want to talk about this? This I, I feel we barely talked about this episode, including <laughs> my God, that insane shot at the crossroads, that beautiful overhead shot, and and oh, yeah. and and just whatever was going on when Jimmy made that phone call, the whole thing with Francesca. I you know seeing yeah, Francesca in black and white times. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we didn't get to and talk her. about. You know, the building, rebuilding the RV and having Brian and Aaron, what that was like to direct Brian and Aaron and, and uh, Bob in that, in that scene. It's just, uh, yeah, there's so much more that we could talk about. The and showmanship got, of this episode is just extraordinary. We've got the Aztec back and, uh, yeah, a lot, yeah. A lot, a lot going on. Approaching Carol the Burnett. high school. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Carol hey, Burnett. Oh. And, uh, yeah. So, That's right. JP Wynn. And we had a we had a the the desert scene. We didn't have that that desert space didn't exist anymore. That was shot back in two oh eight. And right. our our greens team and everybody they had to plow a field behind 
the stages to just have a smooth, you know, where the grave is dug, just to have it <laughs> sort of look like the original Breaking Bad episode. So yeah. A lot of that's stuff where, went on. That's where episode. I would go for my runs, and I thought, you know what? It was that we can put the trucks right there and <laughs> shoot right there, you know? Yeah, but it was, we all, all, it was all weeds, and they had to just plow it over. Yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, the other thing that we didn't mention, I'll just mention it quickly, is that, that the episode of Breaking Bad, where this happened, was my third episode of television. It was only my second time on set on a TV series. Uh, and uh, that was so it was all it's also a, a tremendous rush for me uh, to see to see to see more of what we had what we had back on Breaking Bad is it's pretty exciting. It's so I, 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 it'll be it, it, I, I'm so fascinated that there are people who are watching this show and then are going to watch Breaking Bad. That's so, what a what a strange <laughs> experience that's going to be for those folks. Um, right. But uh but yeah, I agree. There's like, a, there's so many other, th I have so many notes and uh, none of them have been addressed. And uh, maybe we'll have to do- uh, uh, have, us, have us back for a part two. It, well, yeah. in, including, yeah. including uh, William yeah, Oakley and Associates uh, on, the, on the bus bench. Mm. And uh, it's good to know that, that uh, Dark Oak it's... is out there striking uh, fear. <laughs> yeah. and the, the he switched sides. That's he right. sides. Yeah. Dark Oak. Uh. Um, uh, so, okay. So this is pretty unconventional. We, uh, the, we, we didn't have a lot of time to record that podcast and we, and as I'm sure you heard, we barely had any time to talk about the actual episode. Oh, okay. So, uh, and, and of course we, you know, who else we didn't have was Kelly Dixon. So we thought we talked to Tom and we talked to Kelly and we thought let's convene a little, little bonus sesh. And we'll, we'll we'll just put this into the podcast. So uh, we've got uh, here we go with bonus time with uh, Tom Schnauz and Kelly Dixon. Bonus Hello. time. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I felt I felt really cheated when we recorded that last one because you weren't there. But now we're here, and so we're making up for it all. Dude, I think it was on a Friday. I like have a job. Right. <laughs> And, it and was like Friday morning. About, yeah, I found morning. out about it like that afternoon, like the day before. I'm like, nah, man, I can't. But anyway, hey, man, it's good to see you, you talented motherfucker. <laughs> I miss you. I miss you too, you talented motherfucker. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm not sure how you want to run this, Chris, but if you just want me to like, you know, go after, you know, questions for Tom or how I, do you- Yeah, because so, you, you had, because when you talked to me, you were like, you, the first thing you asked was like, yeah. I'm sure you asked him this question, right? I was like, that didn't come up at <laughs> okay, all. Yeah, I'm going to bring that. I'm gonna, that's definitely like at the top of my fucking list, right? Okay. Well, I guess the first thing that's at the top of my list is, okay, first shot in the whole thing. I knew exactly where we were. I was like, good. you know, and it was like, I mean, I guess it wasn't fair because I was tipped off, you know, when everybody else was that Walt and Jesse are going to make an appearance. I'm like, hmm, how's that going to work? And then when they had the bag over the head, I'm like, we're in the fucking RV. I know exactly mm -hmm. where we are. This is great. <laughs> so I guess the first question that I have for you, Tom, is, okay, when you guys were in the writer's room, you knew you wanted to do this. What was the, I mean, was it like, was it hard to think about how you guys were going to bring them back? What was that discussion like when you guys said, okay, we got to figure out how to bring these guys back? We, yeah, we talked a lot about it. And for the longest time, we talked about picking up from the Mr. Mayhew scene or doing something where they meet for the first time. Um, but the more we talked about it, the more we wanted to connect it to the actual series, which is 
Lalo Salamanca, we kept coming back to the line we built off of, which was Saul kneeling in front of the grave saying, it wasn't me, it was Ignacio. Ignacio you're, yeah. you're not with Lalo, no, no Lalo. So it felt like we had to sort of slip into that piece of, of the puzzle from Breaking Bad and build from there. And it seemed like that, that space between when uh, he makes the deal with them to, to get out of uh, being tied up and kneeling in front of the grave, the space between that and when we see him next, when he's actually uh, executing the plan and getting the, the meth and everything in, in his office, there was an empty space there that we could have filled with some, like, what did they talk about? What happened in that moment where they drove away from, you know, after they just kidnapped this guy, how do you get past, <laughs> how do you get past that moment? Um, so that it just felt like a really sweet spot to, to, uh, to fill in uh, the gaps in Breaking Bad. And we talked a little bit, I wasn't here for 611, so we're doing this, but can you fill in anything about the secrecy of getting those guys to Albuquerque? Getting Oh, yeah. I mean, I was not involved in any of the the, <laughs> uh, the high tech, you know, all the <laughs> whatever, flying, in, flying them in in secret. And I just... Uh, I think Rich talked a little bit about it when we recorded the regular. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think. But yeah, it was it was quite an ordeal getting them in. Yeah, they, they, there was a whole, you know... Lots of stuff going on behind the scenes that I did. All I knew is that I, at one point, I got a picture. I knew they were in town. They were getting fitter for costumes, and I got a picture of them in their ski caps and their whole outfits. And I was like, "Oh my God, they're here, and this is happening!" So, <laughs> so it was great. And then, uh, yeah, we uh, all I did was send them. I sent both guys an email about because uh, Brian had asked, "Where are we in the timeline? What's in my head?" Because it was just. After all this time, I think they've just forgotten where, you know, what was, where were Walt and Jesse's head at? So I just described to them what had happened up to that point, just to fill them in so that they could get back into the roles as they were. Because every once in a while, working with Brian, he'd slip into more Heisenberg. And I would say, no, more, more, Walter, more Walter White, less Heisenberg. And he would, he would get it like immediately. And he, he just pulled, he pulled the Walter White off just so great. He, he just, both guys were Fantastic, and Bob, too, Bob. The way Bob slipped into the sleazy Walt, uh, Saul Goodman role was so good, so much <laughs> different from Jimmy. And we we shot it. I think we talked about we shot it way ahead of time in in April while we were while, while we were filming episode uh, six hundred two. So Vince was directing six hundred two, and then there was a gap where we picked up the scene. Wow. And okay, so. The RV, the RV is a set, right? It, it was, there was nothing rolling. It was just a Yeah, set. that was all on stage. They had airbags lifting it up. And I actually, uh, they would lift, they would go, they would signal like we're lifting, lowering. And I was in there with like a cup of tea and I wasn't paying attention because I was in there and they, li <laughs> they lifted it up and I stepped out and I, I biffed it. I told, I did a total Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman. I mean, <laughs> I, I lost my footing and I went down, boom. My, I made this big slap noise when I hit the floor and I look up and everybody's staring at me and they're also like, oh my God, are you okay? Because I, I hit hard and my tea went all over me, hot tea. I'm like, I'm all right, I'm all right. Uh, but it could have been bad. They were like, do you want an ad? Do you want an Advil? Do you want something? I was like, no. <laughs> that was also the day that that Mike Bermantrout and I were on set, which we talked, I think, a little bit about. And uh, and we we got to try out the uh, the hydraulic thing where it was kind of yeah, yeah, around. Yeah. It was very fun. I so loved it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, they just had different levels. They went up to level one through five and five was the bumpiest. So that's when, we, when they were off-roading, that was the, the bumpy <laughs> uh, RV stuff. 
I loved how you guys did that little callback to the light and the key that we did in in uh, four oh what is it four oh nine I think or something where you had in, to uh, key out so it would uh, yeah four days out yeah, yeah. two episode two oh nine oh it's a two oh nine fuck yeah, yeah. season four two days out two oh nine right yeah yeah Sam Catlin's episode and that was that was a tricky one because I watched that episode and. You're gonna get my, get my dog barking in the background through all this. Um, in that episode 209, there are scenes when there is a light, and there are scenes when it was no light because they wanted this plot point of a light going off. And so there's a continuity error in the episode where sometimes the light and sometimes sometimes oh. there's not. So I was like, "What do we do? Do we just?" I was like, "Just put the light in because I want to have this." It's an old. I want to have this homage to the episode and and the trouble they had. So I. Made a special shot where you, where you see the light fade off. Okay, so my next question is, uh, well, no, I love, I love Francesca. You know, she she's like a landlord now, and I love that Narca conjugate much. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to run. We don't, you know, we didn't really have a lot of stupid characters, so it was like great to have these two dumb guys saying dumb things that they think are funny. I thought their apartment was fairly like a little clean for the way that they lived. Because I, I, was, I was pausing and looking at all their shit and seeing what all they had. And I was like, damn, that floor. I mean, the, the counters and stuff, fine. But the floor was like, I was like, damn, they're pretty clean. clean. Yeah. <laughs> it probably looked dirtier to the eye. And then you get black and white. You can't black tell Black and white. Yeah, you're right. Going you're right. On. So it was probably dirtier in person. I noticed that they had those video drawers, like those drawers for videos. Yeah, this. <laughs> I haven't seen that. That that's, really why I great job. that's why I started <laughs> pausing so I could look around and see what the hell was in there. Okay. Now this is a question that it was like, when I first watched the episode, I started freaking out on the couch. Like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. I texted Chris and Chris is like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I like said, I don't know Tom Schnauz's email, or maybe I do have it, but it was like, okay, I, but I know I can direct message him on Twitter and I, I know he'll check it. So I texted you or direct messaged you on Twitter and I kept asking you this question and, yes. and you didn't answer me. And I felt like, is he being coy or is he just not answering? So then after last week's podcast, I think that I, you know, or whatever podcast we recorded, um, I, I called Peter Gould. And I said, hey, so I'm curious. And I told him this whole story. So I texted Tom Schnauz. He didn't answer me. I need to ask you, is you know, about this episode. And he didn't know what I was talking about either. And I'm like, <laughs> am I crazy? I know this guy, this is not unintentional. These guys, are they like acting like I'm nuts or are they just being like this intentionally? So here, for all of you out there, here's my question. When Francesca is driving around Albuquerque and stopping at stop signs and looking behind her, and there's this great like score behind her, I immediately thought, this is fucking Janet Lee in Psycho. <laughs> and I asked Chris and Chris is like, I, I, I don't know. And I said, didn't you guys talk about this on the podcast? And he's like, no. And then when I called Peter Gould, he acted like, huh, I never really thought. Of, I don't know. So here's my question. Is this fucking psycho? And was <laughs> the only thing that's missing is you walking across the fucking crosswalk <laughs> and, and, and Francesca watching you walk across the crosswalk. So uh -oh. 
Is is this not psycho? Was this like a mistake? What? It was unintentional psycho. I really didn't. What? Somebody posted on Twitter. Somebody posted on Twitter a couple of shots I did that they found frames that related to rear window. The only thing that was ever intentionally a Hitchcock shot was the shower head in 607, um, which was like classic uh, Alfred Hitchcock. But somebody else found a shot that I didn't even pick, which was uh, Marshall Adams got a shot looking down the stairwell where Howard in 607, which relates to a shot in Vertigo, uh, was unintentional stealing. And the, so, I mean, now that you pointed out, there are similarities, yes, but even though she's driving in front of a very bad rear screen projection, and Tina Parker is not in our position. I don't believe you. I, I still don't believe you. I'm like, there's no way. I even watched it again this morning going, God, this is in black and white. There, the score kicks in. I mean, it's definitely not. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's again, when I shot it, I didn't know what the score was. I didn't even know there would be score until, you know, Dave Porter brought his brilliant she's like, work. She's driving around. Us. She stops at stop signs. There's like government building. I mean, it's just like, and then when you get out to the desert and there's the high shot of the, of the sign, <laughs> I'm like, right. come on, man. This is the base hotel. I, I didn't, it didn't even occur right. to me. And, and, uh, but it, it, it now is making a lot of sense. And, and, and Tom, I also don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That no, was I, 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 I did not watch you. Psycho and copy the shots. I was just, it absorbs into me. And I, I, uh, I guess I steal unconsciously. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't feel like it's, it's definitely not shot for shot, but the whole feel of it was just like, come on. This well, is I mean, so good. Just this because guy. of the, the nature of the scene where Francesca's worried, she's being followed by the police. I mean, mm -hmm. so certain things happen that happened to she's escaping with money yeah. and psycho so you know francesca is looking around making sure that she's not followed so when she goes does this phone call uh she could do it in private uh so there's a there's a similar mood that i just and i guess my shot selection just happens to mirror and uh, it was in black and white and it was well, that, you know that you know that yeah. was not you know that was picked by the powers that be that this all of this was going to be black and white Dude, for the, it's, for the it's, gene a, timeline. it's an amazing, excellent homage. I, I just <laughs> thought it was, I, I, it was the, immediately what crossed my mind. And I just thought it was fantastic. And again, so funny, like I said, I the only thing that's missing is you walking across that fucking crosswalk. In front of the car. <laughs> I am in the episode though. I'm in the, uh, <laughs> the uh, driver's license sequences. I'm, in, I'm one of the drivers. Oh, okay. 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 Oh, fuck. But, uh, That's amazing. And, and your name also appears in episode 610, last week's episode, uh, <laughs> Schnauz Farms Cheese. That's right. Sharp. That, that's amazing. <laughs> that, that's amazing. I, I just had I'm to I'm going to be selling that. that cheese, by the way. Excellent. Well, I mean, bad advertisement for it in 610. She spits it out. That's you can okay. keep it, Wisconsin. Marion is not a very nice person. So. Okay, here's, here's my next thing is, okay, so and, and if you want to cut this out, I understand. Maybe it's just me being obtuse and I didn't get it. But Francesca waits and gets this call from Jimmy. And she's like, I'm not talking to you until you, tell, you give me what you promised. So she goes and she digs this long ass line of money out. Mm -hmm. Okay, my question is, did I miss something? Did, when did he put that money in there? Has that money been he in there for years? It's been less than a year since okay. the three uh, four oh five. Is it four oh five? Quite a ride. The episode quite a ride. Mike Bearman Trout. That's four oh five. Yeah. Um, 
where we did our first flash forward to the uh, Saul years, and he makes uh, Francesca promise to call him on a certain date. He says, November 12th, oh, okay. you call me, and that's less than a year from when he leaves. Um, so he, he puts his money in place with the phone, you know, the phone number. He knows the, where the phone is. He yeah. hides the money. So it's been there for eight months or however long it's been. Okay, but how in the hell did he get that money all the way? I mean, she pulls for a long ass time. <laughs> how did he get the money all the way up that pipe? A very how large stick. He just, oh, took, okay. a, just okay. took a big broom handle and just pushed and pushed and pushed and <laughs> shoved it in there. He has his ways. He's oh very God. clever, very crafty. I love also when he's like really trying to keep her on the phone and then he's like, I guess this is goodbye. She doesn't even wait. <laughs> yeah, and that was, uh, and, that's a and great moment. It's, it's a classic bit of old so, I mean, comedy. It's been done for years. It's so and Bob just knew. Though. I didn't even tell him to look like he looks at the phone like so, like he could see something. It's, <laughs> it's so old school comedy. He just naturally he knew. I mean, Bob knew exactly. It's so that. it's so Francesca though because even <laughs> I talked about this when when Tina Parker was on the episode and I still can't remember the first time we saw her and Bob was I mean uh, excuse me Saul was saying Francesca can I follow you home no I mean just the way it's just no it's like so that click is like it's so character it's just hilarious I even wrote ha ha in my notes <laughs> um, so so I love the symbolism of the crossroads. Where did you find that crossroads? Oh, yeah. So cool. That we, well, we found the location for uh, the diner uh, way out somewhere. And we were just driving. And I said, what's down that road? And they took us down there. I mean, it was literally just exactly because we knew we needed this crossroad. And we drove down there. And I was like, I asked Christian, I was like, can we use this? And he worked as Christian, our uh, location manager. And uh, it was just happenstance we just luckily i was listening let's turn down this road and see because also we we actually didn't go out to use the location to scout the location that we used for the for the diner there's a one across the street like an old-timey gas station i was just like this doesn't look quite right and we looked across the street and i was like what, what about that one so christian went across the street and asked you know if they were open to filming and luckily they were and then so bang we found this you know put up a sign for pat's diner or Big Pat's Diner, Big is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah. And, uh, and use that one instead of the one across the street where we're originally going to film. And then uh, <laughs> we drove down that road, just found a crossroads, and then uh, our, our digital artist did all the work to make it look snowy. And they erased, there's mountains in the background, they also erased, but it's, a, it's an actual, the road you see on the on screen is an actual road that was shot with the drone. Okay, uh, so... Um, oh, by the way, I got to tell you this um, uh, on the show, on the movie that I'm working on right now. Um, this is just between us. Don't put it in the in the podcast, Chris. So Kelly just told a story that we can't air on the podcast because it has a bunch of secret information. But, Tom, I also want to say I've had more people have reached out to me about that the soda trick <laughs> than almost anything that has happened. I mean, I guess like, you know, of course. It was that and and, uh, you know, poor Howard. But but uh, th they're the two. They're like it's like it's like oh, neck and neck. Like that's fun. I wish my dad was here to to uh, to he hear this. And uh, what a he'd, fine he'd, tribute. You'd enjoy it. Yeah, my dad would enjoy that because he just happened one day. I don't even know. I was 
I think I was in college by when he showed me this. He was, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, watch this. And he checked the can and he spun it on our kitchen, right in our kitchen. He spun it and cracked it open. I was like, oh, wow. How many times does your dad spin it? Because I wasn't sure how many times he had to do it. I, I, God, it was so long. Again, I said college, so it's probably 30 years ago that he showed me this trick. Um, <laughs> I mean, he did it like six or seven. I mean, yeah. between six and eight times. I think that's the safe. I was safe, scared uh, too. I was like, oh yeah. shit, am I going to make a mess? I better like, I spent it like eight times. <laughs> okay. So um, I guess the next thing is, can you talk to us about, I guess in the writer's room, you know me, I always like to ask these questions like, you know, for this episode, because this is like, I was sort of took it as, oh my God, basically Francesca has said that all of these you know, uh, corporations that he's got or where he stashed money are all gone. So I'm thinking, and he just paid Francesca a big sum of money. So I'm getting the impression that he needs money and that's why he's jumping back in with Jeffy and Buddy. Um, so um, you guys had to come up, like now it's like, okay, Saul's kind of getting back into his little shtick and he really is incredibly smart at figuring out how to do these scams like, how did you guys decide, like, how this was going to go down? I mean, you know, what what were you guys, like, I mean, were there a lot of different ideas or? I mean, the, the specific scams, like, what could he do? Yeah. Yeah, I keep, boy, that's, again, we broke this. Let me first address the, uh, he needs money because he, do, he doesn't need the money. He's got a, he's got a Band-Aid tin full of diamonds. And he mm-hmm. gets into this because he gets, he has a very bad phone call. And something bad happens at the end of that phone call and the guy is full of pain and rage and his way of getting over it, mm. he goes full Saul, Good- Saul Goodman. And this is a way of, for him dealing with the pain. I mean, it's his, you know, it's what, what numbs him when he, when he does, when he does these awful, these awful scams. And so, you know, we talked about different scenarios, but I think we came to this very quickly in the writer's room of how, how he was going to handle these guys. And then it came to, um, you know, once he got to the final guy, Mr. Link, who had cancer, it was a sort of a way to connect with, with the Walter, the Walter White of it. And, and how, he, how would he react to a guy who was genuinely sick and dying? Would he have a heart and call it off or would he go forward? And as we see, he's, he's, he wants to continue to numb his pain. So he goes forward with the scam. Um, God, I'm looking at my notes now. I mean, that was, you know, I think that was pretty much it. Um, and then just, you know, we talked about the RV, um, you know, you know, oh, you got the foot wiggler back in there, whatever the fuck that thing is. I can't the remember. Machine? The, the, <laughs> yeah, the, that was great. Um, while we were filming, uh, six the monkeys were going to, well, the monkeys, uh, Mike Nesbeth and Mickey Dolans were having their final concert at the, uh, the Greek theater. And I wanted to go. I was like, I got to go see this. I just had I've had a feeling like I had to see this concert, which ended up being uh, Mike Nesbitt's last last concert because he passed away not long after that. Oh, my God. And and uh, people did not want me to go because it was a weekend. It was a Sunday concert and we were filming the next day. We were filming on Monday and they were like, if you don't get back, this is going to be screwed up. And I was like, OK, I'm not going. I'm not going. Fuck it, I'm going. I just went. <laughs> I went Saturday morning. I made sure I got back. I did a, a red eye overnight, which took me from Los Angeles to Dallas and Dallas to Albuquerque, and got me in before we started filming 
on Monday morning. <laughs> so it was like I had to see that show, and uh, I was I was glad I did. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. I might have a di- if I didn't That's make incredible. it back in time. If I didn't make it back in time, I, I would probably have a different answer. But <laughs> thankfully, it, it all the airlines cooperated. There were no delays. I got back in time. Um, <laughs> I I went right from the Greek theater. My wife and her. I went with her parents. So my wife and her parents went and saw the show. They drove me right to the airport. I got on the plane, flew overnight to to Dallas and then to Albuquerque. And that's yeah. And I think we filmed the Francesca. No, what did we film? <laughs> no, we didn't do. I forget what what our first scene was that day. Tom, Tom, am I am I imagining this? Did did Mickey Dolan's come to the office? He did. He did. Because uh, yeah, I, did we met yeah, Mickey Dolan's yeah, right? Did, like yeah. What? A, that's so crazy. I remember that's when the, that happened. I was actually still the, there. One of the crazy things about being on Twitter is that somehow you get to connect with different people. And Mickey Dolan's was because we use going down on breaking bad, the monkey song going down, which uh, Mickey and the, and the rest of the band were, were co-written um, for that montage in uh, episode uh, 507, say my name. And uh, we just connected through Twitter that he became a big fan of the show of breaking bad. And then, Better Call Saul, and I've always been a Monkees fan, and he was willing to come visit the office and have lunch with us. And he, he's actually become a very dear friend. He came to my wedding. Uh, I've been to a couple of his birthday parties over the years, and you know he's a he's a he's a good friend. Of, he's a good friend of the show, and uh, I, I've always loved that band, and they've meant a lot to me over the years. Well, I'm totally excited. I mean, I'm glad that you you had the time this afternoon. I'm glad I had a little bit of time this afternoon. Um, I'm no, thank you for doing this again. Yeah, I, I genuinely was sad that we finished that last podcast recording and you weren't on it. I was like, oh crap! I wanted to. So thank you for for finding time to do this. Thank you. Because I would have done any. I would have done it any time if you were available. So. <laughs> Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you, man. Well, thank you guys so much for for assembling uh, so quickly and 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 sharing your your thoughts about this and and sharing uh, you know your your processes. Uh, yeah, I wish we could talk for another hour, but um, but uh, and and I want to thank Jen for putting this together. I mean, really, this did come together like yesterday. But yeah, I I uh, hey Rich. We yes, we sir. end every episode of this podcast uh, with one of our guests doing their their best kind of uh, Bob Odenkirk, Saul Goodman, you know, huckster, better call Saul, okay. like from his commercials. Would you uh, would you do the honors and take us out? It'd be my pleasure. All right, I'm a I'm a little shy, but I'll, I'll do what I can. <laughs> well, all right, well well we'll take us out whenever you're ready. All right, come on now, better call Saul. Yeah. Yeah. All right. right. (laughs) Fantastic.